So a dream. And Proverbs 4, chapter 14, verse 12 says, There's a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Listen to me. The natural man will never receive the things of God. And if you're here this morning and you're struggling with the Bible, if you're struggling, how could a big fish swallow Jonah? How, 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 could, it, how, how could it be that David would kill uh, Goliath? How could these things be? Listen to me. Unplug the natural and plug in Jesus and realize that with God nothing is impossible. And you know, every, every year we celebrate Christmas, do we not? And we lay a doll in the, in, the, in the manger, and we believe that Jesus was born in a stable. They laid him in a manger. We, we accept all of that. And then, and then it comes to the place that we really struggle uh, with what Jesus really wants to do for us and the plan he's laid out for us. And, and I, just, I, I just marvel at, at many times how the natural man uh, says things that only God can answer, and we've all been there. Have, has anybody besides myself ever said, I just don't understand this? That's the reason God created us like he did, so we would include him. And here's what he says, if you'll let me, I'll help you. But he never goes where he's not invited, and he never offers his help unless he, we're solicited. So God is a present help, and he wants, his, wants to help us. Let me ask you this, and no, no hands showing because... Uh, uh, two-thirds of you might not be dreaming this, but how many have ever dreamed that this could be your year of jubilee? How many, let me just phrase this. Have you ever dreamed of the day that you would, would not owe one penny? Have you ever taken a deep breath and said, this is how I'll breathe when I get out of debt? Why would we say that? Because the Bible says that a borrower is a slave to the lender. And we've all, except for Elm Grove, have at times borrowed even from our wife. <laughs> I'm going to sow some seeds. She may have to buy lunch today. <laughs> you know, have you ever pictured uh, what would, what does, you know, this is the year of Jubilee. What, what do you see that you would like to ha see happen that would take God to intervene? For you to have a year like you've never had before. Dream with me just a moment. I promise you I've got 45 minutes left. And I'm going to give you at least 60 seconds of that back. Dream with me for a moment. Is your body under attack? Are you taking medication for something you wish that, that had never attacked your body? And you'd like to the, the dream one day you could lay that aside and be free from it? Have you got family members that have made bad decisions and, and uh, you'd just like to see a manifestation of the Holy Spirit just pour healing into that situation and that trouble dissolve? How about this? Are you working somewhere today that you hate getting up and going to work and you'd like to have a job that you look forward to going to work? And you had a smile on your face and a spring in your step, and you didn't punch the clock five minutes late. Well, what if God gave you that dream this year? What if? What if God gave you the desire 
If I just would walk down one aisle and come back to the other, the Bible has something to say about desires. Desire is something different than a want. We all want things, don't we? A want is something that we can live without. A desire is something we're going to work at till we get. I'm, and did you know the Bible has painted a picture in the Scripture for you and me? Delight yourself in me, and I'll give you the desires of your heart. And yet so many times we struggle with the fact, you know, boy, I, 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 I'd give anything. I'd almost die to see this happen. Almost. What if? And you know, I see this sweeping. I see some things in the financial world sweeping the body of Christ this year that I've never seen before. And let me just make a little prediction. At the end of this year, there will be people that will be out of debt, not because they came to Elm Grove, but because they dreamed of having a dream. God could put together either a job or an investment or a way where they could wipe out all of their debts this year and be free. You know, that makes some of us excited. And I can tell the way some of you, you're not in debt. How does that feel? We're going to ask you to scoot over before the end of the year is over. We're going to sit on your pew. <laughs> a vision is a picture of what God wants to bring to pass and what we must do to implement his plan. He just wants you, but he wants all of you. You know, the Bible says he's a jealous God. And, and, and you know, a vision is a spiritual discernment. You can tell whether it's a whether it's coming from the Lord or not, because you have discernment, and God gives us discernment. And if you don't have it today, you can have it simply by asking Him, because He wants you to be filled with the equipment to know right from wrong. Those most likely to do God's will are those who are most sensitive in their heart, and those who have vision are those who can discern His plan for the future and work toward them. I stand to announce to you this morning that some great and mighty dreams are being accomplished even as I look at you this morning. And can I say this? Sometimes we wait for our ship to come in. But I can tell you, God pilots that ship. And you could be one person away from your total success in your life. One person. Jacob, or Joseph, was one person away from the palace when he was in prison. And we're going to talk about his life some more. And I just want to prime you today. God wants you to dream. And here's what he says. And, and you're dreaming and you're planning. And maybe you're here this morning and you're, and you're thinking about marriage. Well, let me help you process that this morning. Make sure you pray a whole bunch about who you're thinking about marrying and then pray some more. Have you ever thought about till death shall part us? And then after the honeymoon, the spirit of kill came over you. I'm just, this is not my expression. I'm just expressing what my wife has thought many times. Listen, it's awesome. It's awesome to dream. I drove to Luther yesterday for a young lady's wedding that grew up in this church. She was supposed to have gotten married around the first of the year. And we had a nice storm, and Saturday morning I had to call the bride and say, the roads are tough, I can't make it. Announcements had been printed, the place had been rented, the chapel had been rented, the 
cake was made and the invitations was out. And through a broken heart, she says this, we're going to postpone it till you can be here. Yesterday, when I drove to the location and I opened the door to that chapel and it came time for me to go and, and spend a few moments with her, tears filled her eyes as her dream came true and little did I realize she had waited till I could get there. Listen to me. Before you cancel your next engagement, you might be the dream maker of somebody who's counting on you. As tears streamed down her cheek, I, I bear hugged her, and I said, I couldn't love you more if you were my own. And she said, I, I didn't know whether you would be able to make it or not. And I said, I'd, if I'd have had to walk here, I'd have made it just for you. And I wouldn't have had to walk across Texas to do it. God is awesome today. He's so awesome that he wants you to realize you're included. And, and the Bible says, be assured of this. He who has begun a good work in you. If you're here this morning, it's because of Christ. If you, if you have something uh, that has motivated you to come today or be a part of the Elm Grove Church family, it's because of Christ. And here's what he says. Be assured that he who has begun a good work in you is able also to finish it. And God simply wants to put the finishing touches on your dreams today. And Philippians 1.6 gives you this scripture. I was looking for the place. Being confident of this very thing. What is confidence? It's something that the enemy can't talk you out of. When your knower knows that you know, the enemy can't talk you out of it. Doubt, fear, and unbelief will not move you from your confidence. And, and the scripture says, be confident of this very thing. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Isn't God good? He wants to bless you. He wants to minister to you. And I want to tell you, it's time to dream again. 25 years ago, Chuck Colson was at the top of his world. A powerful man with a glamorous position that served a special counsel to the President of the United States. A few months later, however, he was headed to prison. And as he entered the federal penitentiary with other shackled prisoners, Colson thought to himself, I always thought I would contribute more to my life, but that dream is over, and now I'm nothing but a convicted felon. Most Christians know the rest of the story. Chuck Colson had received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior just a few days before he went to prison. And while he was there, God placed a new hope and a new dream in his heart. And after serving time in prison over the Watergate scandal, Colson became convinced of the need of a ministry in a prison that would minister to those that needed the sharing of the good news of Jesus Christ. And men and women in prison many times had been forgotten and held in bondage and had no way of having encouragement and strength that only an inner ministry could have in the prison. So he developed the ministry that goes on today. The, he founded Prison Fellowship Ministries and it's alive and well today. Colson's greatest defeat was being sent to prison. It was the beginning of one of God's greatest times in his life because for once he couldn't cover himself with busyness and schedules and following the President of the United States around. He was shackled, he was locked behind prison doors, and for once God had an inroad in his heart. 
and Chuck Colson was where God could talk and Chuck could listen. It was the beginning of one of the greatest place, times in Chuck's life. And all at the time, he could not see what God was doing. It was not until his own dreams came crashing down that he realized God was able to instill a new dream into his life. And that divine set of dreams has brought him to the place where he is today, a Christian full of power, filled with praise, with a heartbeat of people that have lost their dignity and in prison. Now today, that ministry goes around the world because the dreams of a natural man was shattered, but God gave him a new dream. Maybe you're here this morning and you, uh, you feel like your dreams have been shattered. Maybe there's little hope that you can see from your situation. Well, that's the reason we're here today, and we're going to talk about it. We reflect on Joseph's life, and in the past two weeks, it's been a pleasure to look at Joseph's life. He was 17 years of age when his brothers and his stepbrothers totally, they wanted to kill him. They were so angry because of the dreams that God had given him. They sold him into Egypt bondage. He went, went from Egypt into, into uh, another country, and, and he was bought off of an auction block, and he was taken to a man called Potiphar's house. And uh, Potiphar's wife made a play for him. And uh, then he got through in prison over it. All through Joseph's life, Joseph stayed true to God. There's no, there's no dark areas in this young man's life. He spent two years in prison. And throughout all of this, Joseph had a spotless record. Don't I wish I could say the same. We're not all Joseph's. We haven't all followed God-given dreams since our youth like Joseph has, nor have we trusted God to attain them through thick or thin. In fact, some of us think that we can no longer be used of God because of what our past contains. We're damaged good, too tarnished, and too tainted to be used of God. We may even feel as bad as the Old Testament leader felt when he realized that he had given his God-given talent in the wrong manner. He had seduced a married woman and then arranged for her husband to be killed in the battlefield. What would God say about a man like that? Been called to the kingdom, to serve, to be, came to be king. And one day he looked across his rooftop to see the neighbor's wife bathing on the roof and seduced her. He brought her into his life, sent her husband to the front lines, and he was killed. What would God say about a man like that? The Bible says that, uh, and most of you know we're talking about the psalmist David. The Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart. Everybody swallow that. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14, do you have that where you could, where you could bring that scripture up? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. I, I just like to, I don't want to be in a hurry today. Uh, Austin's not back there, but we've got some talented people that are. And if you can bring that up, I want you just to put it on the screen and hold it for us. Was God being unjust in having uh, a decision like this? Did, he, did, did this situation catch God at a, at a weak time? And he said, well, I like David. He's special. I'm going to honor him anyway. I'm just going to overlook his faults and failures. Not at not at all. The crucial point here is that both David and Saul were imperfect and flawed individuals, and yet God used them. 
Both of them sinned against God. But the only one, but only one of them repented, and that was David. And God named David king of Israel to replace a disobedient man called King Saul. I want to stop here in just a few moments. The Bible underlines this carefully for us. Two men that are flawed. Saul got lost in himself. His dream, I mean, he, it was me, myself, and all. I, Saul disobeyed God's direction. He just, he, he felt like he had reached the, the perimeter of life, that he could make his own decision. He didn't need God unless he got in trouble. And at that moment, he was in very big trouble. But David also had a flawed life, just like you and I. Maybe in a different manner, but we all, the Bible says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, which means we all have flaws. But there was one difference between Saul and David. David repented. I want, to, I want to say that real loud. David repented. What does repentance mean? Repentance means make a 180 and walk the other direction. Repentance means I, I, I made a mistake. I am so sorry. God, would you forgive me? And then make a an about face and go the other direction and so many times the church world doesn't process things like god does you know when when we see somebody that really has a flawed life we we mark them and say well you know there's just no way that god's going to use that person i beg your pardon you know it was after the flood that noah went up in the mountains and got drunk did god use noah who built the ark if the Bible says God sees our ending before our beginning, then he knew that Jonah one day would throw one, didn't he? And yet he said, I'm going to use him because he's a good carpenter. I'm going to use the good part of him, and uh, even though he has flaws, I know I can make something happen in his life. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14. Did we ever get there, guys? We, don't, we are not there. Okay, 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 13 and 14, it said, Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly, foolishly. You have not kept the commandments of the Lord your God, which he commanded you to do. And now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over the people, because you have not kept what the Lord told you to do. And in Acts chapter 13, verse 22, and now when he had removed Saul, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Did you know a part of our following Jesus is learning to say, would you forgive me? The only way that we ever came, became a part of God's family is to say, Lord, would you forgive me? I'm flawed. I, there's sin in my life, and I want you to forgive me. I want, I want to ask forgiveness, and I'm not saying this because I know I'm going to fail again. I'm saying this because I want a clean heart, and I, I want a pure heart, and I want clean hands. And so as we pick up on Joseph's life today, where we left off last Sunday, Joseph had refused to be seduced by Potiphar's wife, who had tried more than one time to get Joseph to have sex with her. She had proof that it, it was Joseph's idea, not hers. She had even had Joseph's coat in his hand to prove that when she refused his advancement toward her, he ran and left his coat in her hand. When Potiphar heard about it, 
his wife's story. He was outraged, and he was so mad he put Joseph in prison. But can I say this? God blessed Joseph when he was in prison. The warden of the prison liked Joseph and put him in charge of the prison. And when Joseph was running the prison, there were two inmates who were from Pharaoh's palace, a butler and a baker. And Joseph was asked to seek God for the meaning of a vision Pharaoh's butler had received. And based on the dream, Joseph prophesied that the butler would be released from prison and restored to a place of honor in Pharaoh's house. But when the butler was indeed released, Joseph said this one thing, Please don't forgive, forget me. Have you ever helped somebody with their dream, and today they don't know you? I've got good words for you. Jesus still knows you. What else matters? When the butler had been released, Joseph must have thought he had a chance to be freed because he was now a friend to one of Pharaoh's men in the palace. His hopes, however, were dashed when the butler forgot Joseph for two years. Let me just, can I just stop here and meddle just a moment? How many besides your pastor would, that would have taken you out? I helped that dirty scandal, that dirty buzzard, and some of you can call him worse than that. After all I've done, can you believe? I, I, I know, I'm, I'm just, I'm just, you're just really getting to see what's on the inside of me. I know you never think that way. You never ever processed anything like that. I know you've always said, blessing Jesus. You know, you know, it's amazing what's inside of us. Especially when we've been a stepping stone for somebody else. Moving on. Pharaoh one day had a dream. He saw seven fat cows coming out of the river and then seven skinny cows coming and eating the fat cows. He had a second dream, which a plump head of grain had, had devoured seven thin heads of grain. And none of the magicians or none of the wise men could understand the dreams that Pharaoh the king had had. Uh-oh. Somebody wakes up. Two years has passed since the interpretation of the dream had put him back in the palace. And then, two years later, he remembers there's a guy in prison I think that might be able to help Pharaoh. In Genesis chapter 41, verses 15 and 16 says, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream and there's nobody that can help me. Nobody can make sense out of it. But I've heard... It said that you can understand a dream and then interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it's not me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. I think that one chord touched God's heart. Joseph was in a place he could have taken credit for what was about to happen. But notice what he does. Listen to me, there's some, there's some real gold nuggets in what I'm, I'm telling you this morning. Joseph says, it's not me. God will give Pharaoh the answer of peace. And in Genesis 41, verses 28, 30, says, God has shown Pharaoh 
what he's about to do. The Bible doesn't say Pharaoh was a follower of God, but he, there's a man being brought into the kingdom that's going to plug into Joseph's life, and he's going to develop a plan of God through this dream. We hear it say quite, hear it say quite a bit, you know, uh, uh, God just doesn't uh, include sinners until they're born again. Uh, can I ask this question? And maybe, maybe I don't study the same Bible, but... Uh, does the, your Bible say it rains on the just and the unjust? Oh, come on. Sure it does. And we don't know what's getting ready to happen in that unjust heart. Notice what happens. Joseph says, Pharaoh, God's speaking to you, and he's giving you, he's giving you the answer to what's about to happen in Egypt. And here's what Joseph says. Seven years of great plenty will come throughout the land of Egypt. But after seven years, of fam a famine will arise, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. And the famine will deplete this land where you're living. Of all the dreams that Joseph had interpreted, this, from this dream, was the salvation for this king. Joseph suggested a strategy for Pharaoh that he could sustain the people from Egypt with greatly enhancing the plan that God was giving him through the dream. He told, told Pharaoh, he said, you're going to have seven years. You need to find a man that you can trust that will be a, a CPA to you. He can keep books, and you're going to need to gather all the plenty, all the excess, and you're, you need to store it. And in seven years, this land is going to see a famine like they've never seen before. And Pharaoh, it's because God has given you the dream. And he's allowed me to tell you what he's saying through that dream, that you're going to be the salvation for Egypt. And in those seven years of famine, the world is going to run to your courts because you've got groceries to feed them. And without you fulfilling this dream, people will die. And so Pharaoh, or Joseph says, you need to find you a man, a wise man. And Pharaoh says, uh, I found the man. You're the man. I want you. I want you. So the advice was good, even though, and, and I, I just want to take a moment and read that. In, in Genesis chapter 41, this, this, is, this is a powerful, uh, powerful scripture. And Joseph, in Genesis chapter 41, verse 37, I just want to read that to you, if you would let me. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh, in the eyes of all of his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a, a man like this in whom the Spirit of God... Listen, who's talking? Pharaoh. Can we find such a man? Where's this man came from? Prison. This is a, he, he's talking about the guy whose brothers wanted to kill him, and yet they sold him uh, uh, to some gypsies, and they brought him to, G, to Egypt, and he was sold on a, on a auction block as a slave. And then he went to Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's life lied on him. He went to prison, and he's there two years, and then he's redeemed through a dream. 
And what's, what's, what's the king saying? Can we find such a man like this? A man in whom the Spirit of God dwells. After all he's been through, I want you to get this. After all he's been through, here's a king that recognizes the power of God. Don't shout me down now. If Pharaoh can recognize the power of God working in your life, so can the people on the job recognize it. Don't shout me down now. I'm, not, I, I'm enjoying this quietness so much. If you only knew how much I was enjoying this quietness, you would start jumping pews. I enjoy quietness. Thank you for blessing me. Don't shout me down. I don't want you to shout me down yet. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all of this, there's no one as discerning as wise as you. You know the first place that, that Joseph shown wisdom? He took no credit for what God was doing. Wisdom comes to a person's life when God gets all the credit. That's the reason the psalmist says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all our iniquities, who heals all our disease, who delivers our life from destruction and crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercy, who fills our mouth with good things so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. Who gets the credit? He does. He does. Notice what else Pharaoh says. You will be over my house and all my people. Who's he, telling, who's he talking about? A man that just came from spending two years in prison. He said, you'll be over my house. All my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne, I will be greater than you. Which says, you're the second man in command. I'm still king. You're second in command. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over the land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh took the signet ring off of his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him with garments of fine linens, and put a gold chain around his neck. I like this, verse 43. I want to talk to all you General Motors people. This had to be a Ford. <laughs> and he let him ride second in a chariot, Ford chariot, which he had. And they cried out before him, bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. Can you imagine what the second chariot looked like when they rolled it out of Pharaoh's keeping place? Pharaoh, no doubt, had servants. All they did is polish the wheels on his chariot. How about this? Those chariots were pulled with some of the most expensive horses. Wouldn't you like to have just had a job of grooming the horses, checking the hooves, feeding them, I mean, getting them ready to pull the king's chariot across the country. I mean, you would have to be up in the upper echelon to even have a job like this. Joseph hadn't moved from the prison to groom horses or to shine wheels. He had been groomed to be second in command over a dream. Over a dream. Well, Pastor, you know, I just don't believe in dreams. I just, you know, what will be will be. I, I love to dream. 
I, I love to dream. Renzi told me one day over a cup of coffee, he said, you make me tired just listening to your dreams. <laughs> Pharaoh realized that he, there was a wise man, that God had sent his name to his way, and his name was Joseph, and he crowned Joseph. I'd like to close this morning with about 10 minutes of challenge to all of us, including myself. It's so easy today to get distracted. And the greatest distraction that the enemy will use on you is your set of circumstances. And we all have a set of circumstances. We all deal with things. We all have stuff on our plate that, wish we, that we wish it wasn't there. We, we, all, we, we all have some things, if we will allow ourselves, we'll meditate upon them in the quietness of our time without anybody other than God and ourselves knowing. But I'm going to talk to you about something that's very beneficial to all of us today. No matter, you may be a layman, you may be a leader in this church, you, you may just be a husband or a wife, you may be a teenager growing up. But, but I just want to say to all of us today, including the one standing behind this plastic podium, without God's help, people have committed suicide under less severe circumstances than what Joseph faced. Joseph came from a dysfunctional family, an incomplete family, the kind that usually produces dysfunctional and incomplete individuals. But Joseph did not become dysfunctional. He did not commit suicide. He did not roll up in an emotional fetal position and resign from life. How did Joseph retain his sanity? How did Joseph survive all the wild ups and downs called a roller coaster ride? Joseph had a secret. No matter what happened or how he felt, he kept on walking with God toward his dream, not from his dream. And when he was hated, and when he was stripped, and when he was in the pit, he kept his eyes on Jesus. And that is what we call staying focused. He kept seeing the vision. He kept seeing in his heart until he saw it come to pass. He kept on reaching for it until he grabbed a hold of it with his hand. How about this? Joseph survived because he didn't allow people to make him bitter. And I can tell you something, there's a world filled with bitter people today. Every time I hear of road rage, I think, down below the crust, and underneath that 357 that may be laying in the, in, the, in the seat of that car is some anger that somebody never dealt with, and it was finally exposed in an area called road rage. I'll tell you something. I've followed, just the past few weeks, I've followed uh, a gentle, uh, 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 an SUV with five boys in it, and they sat just beside this 18-wheeler for about 10 miles. And, and the, uh, the 18-wheeler would slow down going up the hill, and, and so would these boys. And they just kept, it was, it was so horrific that even your preacher got upset. If I could just slap those boys, I'd grab their keys and throw them as far as I could. Oh, I know you don't have that problem. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just telling you, I'm just like you. The only thing different is I have a different color shirt on than you. The gentleman driving the 18-wheeler after several miles. Have you ever noticed when you're being tormented, 10 minutes can seem like an eternity? 
I mean, this just went on and on and on for at least 10 minutes. And finally, the 18-wheeler, the driver behind that big truck, just slowed down. And we began to pull over in his lane and go around these boys. And these boys had their windows rolled down, and it wasn't a warm day. And they were watching to see the emotional upset that they had been able to generate. And you know what? The Bible says shun the other appearance of evil. And I wanted to do something <laughs> to let them know I was unhappy. But I tell you, I did them a favor of myself. I didn't even look their way. I just stepped on the gas. Oh, someday I'll get as spiritual as you. I'm sorry. Joseph survived because he didn't allow people to make him bitter. You know, I, I, I know friends in the ministry that aren't in the ministry today because they let people make them bitter. They got disenchanted. They just couldn't. Listen, there's nothing that the enemy throws your way that can't be covered by the blood of Jesus. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make us whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is that flow that washes whiter than snow. And I don't care whether it's anger, bitterness, or unforgiveness. I don't care what it is. There's nothing that can wash away the, the things in our life but the blood of Jesus. Joining a church will not wash you. Being baptized in water will not wash you inside. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He only allowed them to make him better, not bitter. His brothers made him better. Potiphar's wife made him better. Pharaoh's chief butler made him better. We may not control what happens to us, but we can always determine what our reaction to adversity will be. Nobody can vote for you. No matter if the enemy has your, his hand on your hand and, he, and he's trying to pull you up, nobody can vote for you. Only you have that power to vote as to how you're going to react to adversity. We must allow adversity to make us better. The United States Marine Corps has a saying, and I wish my grandson would be here this morning. And it says, whatever doesn't kill me will make me stronger. How many Marines do we have in the building this morning? Whatever didn't kill me. Paul described the, this godly reaction to times of adversity. Thousands of years later in his letter to the church at Philippi, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13 says, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Everybody say that with me. For whatever state I'm in, I've learned to be content. How many just lied? Thank you, Jesus. I didn't cause them to lie. Notice what else he says. <clears throat> what else did you say? I lost my place. Oh, yeah. I know how to be abased. And I know how to abound. I have learned both to be full and to be hungry. Both to, to uh, make it and both in times of suffering. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I close with this. This is the key to the kingdom. 
Another reason Joseph not only survived but thrived in adversity was that he worked to help dreams of others come to pass. I know you didn't get that. I want everybody to shut their phones off. I, want you to, I just want to talk to you for a minute. Joseph not only survived, but he thrived in adversity because he learned and worked to help other people who had dreams. He helped them bring it to pass. He didn't just advance toward his own goals with a servant's heart. He worked on other folks' dreams. For example, Joseph worked on Potiphar's dream. He said, Potiphar, I've been unjustly enslaved, but while I'm here at your house, I'll work as hard as I can to make your vision of this house come to pass. Let me ask you this this morning. What's the vision for your house today? I want you to think about it a moment. It's still 10 minutes till 12. We should all have a vision of the house that we live in. And what happened? Joseph said, Something to the jailer. I shouldn't be in your jail, but while I'm here, I'll work as hard as I can. I've attended some businesses that I knew people was on the payroll and they were setting. When I walked in, they were setting when I walked out. And I wanted to say, I'm glad you're on somebody else's payroll. Not Joseph. Joseph wanted to see everybody's vision come to pass. Joseph said to the butler and the baker in prison, I'm going to work on your dreams so that they may come to pass. And they did. And he did. And God blessed Joseph because he was a dream maker, not a dream taker. Joseph worked on Pharaoh's dreams. He interpreted the dreams of seven fat years and seven lean years so the Pharaoh was able to prepare and save his kingdom. And again, God blessed Joseph because Joseph was labeled as a dream maker. He knew how to make things work in adversity. He knew how to work and enjoy. You know why? Because the Bible says God was with him. Even, even the king says, how could we find such a man of God? The conclusion is this. It's not surprising that he worked on everybody else's dream. His own dream came true. Your dream will never come true until you help make somebody else's dream come true. Let me just say that again. Your dream will never come true until you help somebody else. You know the joy of pastoring this church? I enjoy Sunday morning. Sunday morning is a grand finale of the whole week. But my week is based on helping other people. Yesterday, before I went to the wedding, I left early enough that I could stop by Mercy Hospital and visit Lindell. A girl had grew up in, in this community, never been, never, she's, her and her husband sits here when they come out to rib dinners. But Jim and her uh, are in the hospital this morning, and she's just here by the mercies of God. I left there. I went over to OU Medical, and, and uh, uh, Carolyn's brother was laying there. And I, I walked in, and his face lit up. And he said, Preacher, I knew you were coming. And you know what I thought? What if I hadn't have? 
I always like to stop by Dillard's and see if they've got their $100 shirts down to $15.95 because that's when I buy all of mine. But I didn't. You know what kept me from it? The mercy of God. It wasn't about me. But I want to just tell you, I want to be honest with you, I stopped after the wedding. <laughs> we all process life. But can I tell you, the greatest part of my life is helping other people. There's days when I stand at the bedside of people that graduate from this life. It's an honor to know that I've had the last prayer. It's an honor that I have represented another kingdom, and it's not the kingdom of this world. It's an honor to know that I've been able to take somebody's hand that couldn't get up out of bed and say, God has generated something in me that I want to give to you. And it's encouragement. And it's a blessing to the Lord that make rich and add no sorrow. It's a joy to be a servant. And, and Joseph found being a servant is what ignited his life. And the most unhappy people today that I meet, the most unhappy people and many people that are locked up in the prison of unforgiveness are people that fail to reach out and help somebody else. What did Jesus come to do? If you have your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 10, verse 38. And let me just tell you what it says as you turn. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, and he went about and doing good and healing all that were oppressed because God was with him. And today, there are people in this building, you, you are an employer and you employ people. There's people in this building, your supervisors, and, uh, and there's people under you that you'll be telling tomorrow uh, the direction they're to go and the things that they're to accomplish. And the dream and the goal you have is to finish the job and let it be acceptable to those that are paying the bill. And this is life. But at the end of the day, never fail to realize Jesus has paid our bill in full. Not with silver and gold, but with his precious blood. He gave it freely so that he could cancel our debt and, de and cancellation our debt of sin. And today, we can go free. I am so grateful that we're free.